the uh, the practice of insight meditation and the practice of Buddhism uh, is very much uh, the, this this question of of loss, this universal experience of loss, is very much at the heart of of the practice as it's taught um, and has been taught in all the years uh, since the time of the Buddha. In fact, the the story of of Siddhartha, the prince Siddhartha, who became the Buddha and the story of how he began his spiritual search begins with him going out. He had lived a very protected, sheltered life, uh, and his, his family had hidden from him the, um, the, the truth of, of loss and, uh, you know, aging and, and impermanence and so on, um, you know, in many, many ways, just giving him, feeding him all these pleasant experiences. Um, and, um, and, and he, he moved out beyond the boundaries of his very protected life. Um, and, and he, uh, he encountered this, you know, a very significant story in, in the Buddhist texts about how Siddhartha encountered the realities of aging and illness and death, you know, in the form of seeing somebody who was old and somebody who was, you know, covered with sores and was very ill and then, you know, a funeral procession for somebody who had died. And, and th- these were um, completely new and... Uh, um, kind of illusion-shattering experiences for him. And, um, and, and, he, and so he asked myself, how can I, you know, it would be folly for me to try to find a sense of meaning and well-being in circumstances in my life that were, that are changing and are beyond my control. And so, um, and so that began his journey in, into seeking, um, you know, uh, uh, the awakening that he eventually uh, came to and shared with the world. So it was it was touching into the realities of of aging, sickness, and death that that opened him to the profound truth of impermanence. And um, and this is such a a key uh, learning that we all need to take in that that the whole universe is teaching us all the time change and loss everything is becoming something else and so you know when we when we see the seasons. 
when we contemplate uh, the stories that we're told by, you know, scientists about the beginnings of the universe and uh, and how how uh, stars and galaxies and planets, you know, emerged from this, you know, original bursting forth of energy that we call the Big Bang. And we see that everything is characterized by, you know, there's loss in everything. But as somebody mentioned, there's also something new emerging. And and so everything that we live, everything that that comes into our life is is changing us is um, and as we are interconnected in, in our in our interconnected lives are changing um, the world around us and so we we discover that resisting change um, and resisting that things are the way they are and life is unfolding as it is unfolding um, is the source of suffering. Things, Things don't work out the way we want them to work out, but they work out in another way. They work out in whatever way that they are going to. Um, we think, we also think that we have something in our life. So when we, when we have a partner, when we have a job, when we have children, you know, we think this is what we have. We, we use the possessive pronoun, um, or the possessive, uh, verb, I guess, um, that I have this, I have children. And, and, and we believe it because that's the way we language it. Um, but our children are not ours and our spouses are not ours and our parents are not ours. They don't belong to us. Um, And as one person mentioned uh, in our sharing a few minutes ago, you know, these, these waves that come, these waves that manifest in our lives, you know, birth and death, you know, they're, they're just happening. Um, I remember after the loss, after my son died, and I was working, uh, it was... It just so happened that about a month after he died, I was um, I was supposed to be co-teaching with um, with one of my teachers, uh, and and I I told him that I didn't think I could do it, but that I would just kind of be there on the retreat, and um, and it was actually a great support. And next to uh, next to the retreat center where we were. Uh, holding the retreat, there's a cemetery. It's one of these very old cemeteries. Um, 
where, you know, it dates back a few hundred years, about probably 300 years, some of the graves. And, um, and I, I, I walked around the cemetery and I was just looking at these gravestones and I was, I was grieving the loss of my son, who was 33. And um, I saw all of these, you know, young men who had died in both the First World War and the Second World War, you know, 18 years old, 20 years old. I saw all these young children who had died and all these infants who had died, you know, a few days old. And, um, and I just took in how universal this experience of being a mother who had lost her son or lost her daughter, you know, how, how universal that was. Um, because, you know, I, I had this idea, even though it was, you know, I, I know better, uh, I knew better then, but um, it just feels like, oh, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be this way. It's not supposed to happen this way. Um, and, uh, and, it, and that can also be reinforced by, you know, by the world around you. It's like people say that to you, and, and they say, uh, that's the worst thing that can happen. I mean, it's, it's definitely, definitely one of the worst things that can happen, I guess, because we put so much of ourselves and we live so much, we sh- so much shared life between parents and children. Um, and between other, in other relationships as well. So, um, so I guess what I'm... Uh, I'm really pointing at here is that it's not that there's something wrong that this happened. It's, it's that this is what happened and it's not what we want it to happen. And, um, but it's the way it happened. There's so much complexity around grief and loss you know whether it's the death of somebody or whether it's the loss of a job or whether it's unre- unrequited love or or uh, you know all the different possible uh, losses that I, I mentioned earlier today um, so many ways that we we experience loss and so, so our, our feeling of grief may be um, mixed through with anger. Um, anger at the way that person expressed themselves at the end of their life. Maybe they, maybe we really wanted and expected that they would be more empathetic to what we were going through and they weren't. They were really wrapped up in what was happening to them. Um, uh, We may feel remorse that we weren't present enough 
in the process. We may feel grief, a kind of, as you know, somebody was speaking about, a kind of a, not only the grief of the loss, but the grief of lost opportunity to communicate the love that we have. And so, you know, all of this, all of this can stretch our hearts. All of this can be our teacher. You know, I, I, I've said to myself and to others many times that my, my son was my first and best teacher um, because in being born, he broke open my heart to love. He was my first child and and I learned that I could love someone more than I love myself um, and and put somebody's life before my own. And in his dying, he taught me deeply about impermanence. And so, you know, all of these life experiences um, become part of us and when we open to them and and open to the grief to the remorse to the the feeling of anger and disappointment we may feel when we allow that to be received with compassion and kindness when we give that space to be known within us then we can really receive the full gift of that person's living and dying. The full gift of everything that they had to give us. Because even in their dying, or even in their going away, or even in the dissolution of the relationship, or even in the loss of the job, there's something that we can receive. And another thing that, another complexity around grief, you know, uh, could be that we feel a a sense of relief. Um, You know, it can happen if somebody has been sick for a long time, uh, that we feel a sense of relief for them, for their suffering, but we also might feel a sense of relief for ourselves. It's like, wow, that was really difficult to journey with that person in their, in their illness. You know, and, and my son had mental illness, and, um, and it was really difficult to be with him and be with him figuring out in each moment, uh, you know, what the right response was for him and for me and um, and it was really hard to accept that along with the grief and the loss and the sense of um, I guess uh, well there were a lot of feelings uh, there was um, but there was also relief because it had been hard. It had been a hard journey 
to uh, to be with him, and I had to accept that that, that was also real, um, and allow myself that. Um, and feelings of guilt and feelings of, of self-blame, all of this comes up. So, um, so in in practice, especially in the in the Tibetan tradition, there's there's an expression that in meditation nothing is excluded. Nothing is excluded. So it's not that there's a right way to feel. Like feelings are just feelings, uh, and and they're they move through us and they change and and we learn about what it is to be a human being by fully receiving everything. It's not that we believe that the feeling is justified or that we justify it or it's right or wrong. It just is. Emotions just are. And all of these complexities around our our losses uh, and events in our lives all have to do with who we think we are and what we think we have. Um, so in in Buddhist teaching um, there's uh, there's teaching on love in which we highlight that there are different kinds of love. You know, there is a quality of love, uh, the, the Pali word is metta, um, and it means loving kindness. And this quality of love is really all about wishing well for the other being, the other person, the other sentient being, an animal, life itself, loving friendship for, you know, our whole earth, uh, the the trees, the environment, the, the oceans, everything that sustains our lives as an interconnected system. And so, so that we can really wish well to everything with a kind of um, just an uns, uh, not 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 being concerned about or not focusing on, you know, what what I have or what what's about me, but it's just it's just a kind of a a generous, unconditional is the word that's usually used, unconditional love, uh, a generous love a love which is not judging or a love which is not preferring, but just wishing well. And in all of our loves, there is that element of loving-kindness. In, in, in the way that we love, there is usually, anyway, uh, that element of loving-kindness. But there's also the element of, you know, attachment. And when we talk about attachment, um, it's about me. It's about it's about what I need. 
It's about what I want. Um, the word attachment in, in Buddhist jargon has a kind of a, a negative kind of rap, you know, a negative vibe. But actually, the word attachment in psych- psychological circles is, is kind of being redeemed. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it has a, a really positive and natural quality to it. Like children need to feel attached to their parents. Children need to feel attached and safe and, and that their needs will be met. Uh, they need to be received and, and listened to and, um, and affirmed. And that quality of attachment is very human. And, um, and, and bringing that awareness of, the, of the, that, that attachment, that human uh, quality of attachment is so uh, important, uh, has, has come more into, I'm not a psychologist, but um, I'm interested, and, and so I, you know, I read and I hear, and, uh, and, and so it's come more into um, psychology of relationships, you know, that in our significant relationships, you know, especially in primary relationships like marriages and, you know, um, partnerships, and, uh, and also friendships, there's, there can be this, this kind of attachment that, but that there's uh, a kind of a fulfillment of various wants and needs um, that, that we feel safe. And it's, it's very human, and it's okay. But it's, it is about what I need. And it's really that, it's really our attachment that, you know, we feel has gotten broken, has gotten ripped, has gotten torn when we, uh, when we lose a relationship. Because there's something in us energetically that's reaching out. That, you know, when I, I would think of my son and I would feel this love for him, and I could feel energetically kind of reaching out. I wanted an object to attach that, that feeling to, and the object wasn't there. I mean, you know, the object wasn't there really most of the time because he was living in his own place and he was living some, he spent almost a year in Korea and, you know, so, so really most of the time in my, in my life, actually that object that I wanted to connect with wasn't in my sensory, you know, realm right now, but I imagined that, you know, it could be if I, you know, reconnected with him and, and with the death, you know, I, I realized, well, it was okay. I felt okay when I knew he was somewhere in the world, <laughs> whoever he was in this moment, because we're always changing and becoming somebody else, right? But the he that I imagined my son to be uh, was somewhere. But then when he wasn't, that felt, that reaching out felt like pain and suffering. And so, um, 
So I, I shifted. I learned to shift my, my balance to be with the, just the love that was still alive, still there and still is. Uh, just that quality of love without attachment because we can connect with that. So much of the love that we feel for the people who are in our lives really was, you know, I wish you well. I want you to be happy. You know, generous love. Love which is not about me. Love which is not about, you know, what I want or what I need. Um, Even though, you know, I'm not judging that. Uh, I'm not putting a judgment on, you know, like, because it's real in relationships. We do have attachment. And it's okay, but but it's it's also important and good to be aware of what's what, you know. Is this is this what I'm feeling right now? Is this about my needs, or is this about really caring for the other? And uh, and especially as parents, that can it can become a little hazy sometimes, and even in our relationships with our partners or friendships, it can sometimes be a little unclear. So we want to be honest with compassion and non-judgment. In, uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, um, Jesus talks about love, uh, and uh, it's one of my favorite phrases from the gospel. And he says, "It's when he's ta- reflecting on love and reflecting on even loving our those who we identify as our enemies." And he said, "Let your love be like God, who causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust." So, so we can wish well. We can, we can open to that quality of, of love. Um, no matter what the conditions are. So, a bit more maybe difficult point or a deeper, more subtle point in the teaching is that I alluded to it a few minutes ago. As we meditate and our meditation deepens, we begin to realize that you know, we are not who we are is something that can't be defined. Who we are, we, t- we, we tend to ob- objectify ourselves and identify with our roles and with the way that we present in our lives, you know, as a man or a woman or, you know, as a parent or as a teacher or as a, a daughter or a sister. Um, you know, so many ways that we identify with. But 
as we deepen in meditation, we're living more from the inside. We're living more attuned to our inner experience as it is unfolding moment by moment and not so much looking at ourselves from the outside. You know, when we look at ourselves from the outside, we, we reify ourselves. We make ourselves a thing. We make ourselves an object, and then we judge whether that object is good enough uh, or not good enough. And, um, and a lot of the times we judge it's not good enough. So, um, so as, we, as, as mindfulness deepens and we become more present, to our inner experience, we're living more in moment-by-moment awareness of our inner life. And, and, and we discover that who we are can be defined as a mystery, as an ever-unfolding, an ever-changing reality. And, and, as, and then a deepening of that discovery for ourselves is to realize that every other being is the same in that they also, each one, is not a thing, is not solid, is changing, is evolving, is, is a mystery, is undefinable. And so, when we contemplate that, when we touch that profound truth in relation to the person, quote-unquote, that we lost, if we realize that they also are no object, that they also are a process and can't be defined, then what we we may recognize that we are reifying them, making an object out of them, and ho- trying to hold on to that object. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's, 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 a, it's something that is... Um, it's not, it's not uh, that easy or obvious. But, but we begin to realize that what we have in our lives we don't really have. There's not, you know, there's not much we have in an ultimate sense beyond the experience of this moment. So, um, so that also really, uh, so, so who, you know, who was my son and, and what did I have? You know, and it kind of um, breaks open this story that I may be holding about what I lost and what happened in my life, what, you know, my life. So all so going back to that image that uh, somebody offered of the the waves rising and falling, it's all rising and falling like the waves, 
you know, are dependent on the tides and the currents and the and the wind and the the mo- the sun and uh, and all of this, um, you know, so many different and the the rotation of the earth. It's all of our risings and fallings in our life, uh, and each breath is uh, interconnected with so many other things. And so we can't fully understand and certainly can't control how this process unfolds. And so we can, so the love that, that can be felt that doesn't need an object to attach to. It can still be known. It's still alive. And we can strengthen and deepen that wellspring, um, which is the source of love that's present within us. And, and that source is bigger than ourselves. So, so in our in our process of grieving and how meditation helps us in our process of grieving is that just as I spoke today in the instruction about giving ourselves space like having that space to, to feel the sensation in the body of the breath or of or of uh, an unpleasant sensation or a pleasant sensation or having the space to to be aware of the thought instead of getting hooked and carried away by the thought so so giving our grief space to be received is how meditation helps us to to be to work with and allow that grief which is also a process and un an impermanent process, allow that grief to move through us. So connecting in, what is the sensation? What is the energy? What am I feeling right now? Giving it a compassionate space to be received. Can I, can I receive it in simplicity, in its raw energy, without creating a story? And you know, in my experience, I, you know, when when my son died, I um, I felt like my heart was breaking. It it really did feel uh, like there was a kind of a breaking in my heart, and uh, and it was painful. There was this really deep pain, and there was a, a kind of heaviness that I felt, and the heaviness permeated my body, and a kind of situational depression. Uh, you know, in which I, I just didn't have energy to, to do anything. And I just felt like, well, this is, you know, I just need to give space to that. I need, I need to just be present with that. And so I, I allowed it just to be there. And I have this image of myself sitting in my meditation room, just uh, feeling it just feeling it and um, and it was you know a very powerful meditation object and and I was 
And then as I was feeling it, I noticed that sometimes it would intensify, and I noticed that sometimes it would open and there would be a little bit of space. I noticed that my mind wanted to go into the story about what happened. Like, you know, there were a lot of if-onlys. If only, you know, we had done this or he had done that. Or if only, you know, the system, the healthcare system, the mental health care system had been better. If only he had met the right person. If only, you know, he had taken his medication. If only this, if only that. If only, you know, back to his early childhood. And... And I just really, you know, I just didn't go there because I saw that it was totally futile because that's not what happened. And, and that's gone. That's over. And, and so I need to accept that the past was what it was. It just was what it was because there's nothing I can do about it. And I can just receive it. And it can, it can shape and inform who I am right now. I mean, not that I was thinking that way, but all I could think was, you know, don't go there. That's just, that, you know, that's just going to, you know, tie you up in knots and, uh, and create a new story, it's a self-construction about um, what I should have done or could have done. And um, and so, you know, I, I, just, I just spent weeks and months just really being present with that. Began to notice at times that, you know, things that I mentioned before, yeah, there's relief. There's a quality of relief, and I felt really guilty about that. Like, how how could that be that I would feel relieved, you know? And um, uh, and just accepted that that and was really supported by a lot of loving people. Um, but uh, accepted that that's just what was coming up, and that's what was being felt. And um, and notice that, you know, as time went by, there was opening. There was opening to peace. There was opening to uh, serenity and acceptance and equanimity. There was opening even to joy, that life was coming through in new ways, and that when I gave it, when I gave myself that space to be present with what was light was coming through, what life was coming was bringing forward in my life, that sometimes there was joy, sometimes there was creativity, you know. But if I would push away the grief, I was also closing myself to the new life that wanted to come through. And I also learned that that being open 
to compassion for ourselves meant also nourishing myself and that was it's it's this is kind of a, a bit more practical but it's very real part of grieving i think is um uh taking care of ourselves taking care of our bodies and taking care of our happiness so you know so if music is something that uh is is comforting or gives you joy or if nature I, f- i found i was just spending a lot of time in nature it's really important to spend time in nature um giving ourselves that space to be nourished and um uh restored And when we give ourselves that space for grief to be received and and to be known, you know, one of the reasons why we may resist doing that is fear. If we may we may feel fear like if I open to this grief, will it destroy me? Will it overwhelm me? Will it be this ocean of tears that never stops? Will I drown in it? And what we discover is that um it doesn't that there is that when we are the space of presence and openness um it doesn't it doesn't fill us it doesn't we don't get we don't get filled up we don't drown in it it's it's something that moves through us it's something that we can bear and it teaches us about humanity when we have the courage to be with what is painful what i've discovered for myself is that having opened fully to the loss and the grief has given me a a kind of courageous compassion a fearless compassion that i feel i can step in to be with somebody else in their grief because i know that i have been with my own and that that fearless compassion is such a gift to the world to to realize that you know i i'm not afraid i'm not afraid to be present with somebody in their in their loss in their pain we need that rather than always reassuring or or saying you know somebody said you know it it's going to it the timing is going to be this you know somebody said to me once yeah it'll take 5 years and i said you don't know anything about my process why are you giving me this time frame that it's going to be 5 years before i'm you know what is you know what does it mean to you know does it mean that then my life returns to what it was uh, of course not but nor you know nor is it 
worse than what it was. It just is what it is. And so this journey you know, brings us through so many, uh, so many different aspects. This we talked about, uh, you know, remorse, and there's also forgiveness. Forgiveness may come up that we need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive the other, and that's a process. And and so that also is is part of this whole unfolding. Um, And we may come to gratitude, gratitude for their person, for their life, and for the fullness of their life. That whatever it was, it was the fullness of their life. So, um, so I'd like to end my talk here and uh, invite any thoughts or response that you may have um, coming out of things I've said.